if you don't mind, uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, especially this day, I, I lift up Dr. Sampson and his family and other pastors, other church leaders, other followers of you that have been in prison because of their faith, because of their uh, speaking about Christ and the freedom that he brings. And God, I, I don't know what to pray other than just say, uh, work a miracle in that place. Uh, we pray for those that have lost their homes and their churches and their whole communities. Uh, Lord, we pray for the military that they would wake up uh, to the savageness that they're creating against their own people. And Lord, we just pray that your, your will, your peace, your grace uh, would encompass that country. Lord, as we gather this morning, uh, we pray that your spirit would speak to our minds and our hearts. We thank you for this season and for this time. And, uh, and again, we pray that we would hear your voice this day that would change our lives, that would draw us to you, that would uh, help us continue to be a part of the light and mission uh, that you are in our communities, in our families, in our lives. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Um, I was reading a book recently called Team of Teams by uh, General Stanley uh, McChrystal. And in that book, he tells a story of something that happened December 28th, 1978. There was a flight that was going from uh, JFK to Portland, Oregon. And it was a full flight, normal flight. They stopped in Denver uh, to refuel and filled up uh, the airplane and everything went fine. A full load of passengers and they headed towards Portland with about 70 minutes of extra fuel on the plane. As they got to Portland about five in the afternoon, uh, they put the landing gear down and when they put the landing gear down, a light flashed that the landing gear wasn't down. And that turned the crew into this kind of chaotic mess. They, they began trying to figure out, first of all, if the light was right, was their landing gear down or was it not really down? They, they heard the sounds of the gear going down, but, but because the light was flashing and they were taught and trained to rely on the systems of the airplane, they weren't sure that the landing gear was really down. And so uh, they were trying to figure out what they could do to make sure that the gear was down so they could land. Now, they were coming into the airport and when the light came on and they had so much fuel, they decided, you know what, let's go around again and uh, see if we can't figure this out. So the flight attendants were calming the passengers and telling them that everything was under control and the rest of the crew was just working through every issue they could come up with in terms of how to solve this blinking landing gear light. Now, they went through every scenario. All of the practices that they would have to do if they had to land without landing gear and how they could most safely do that. They also realized that even if the landing gear was down, maybe the light was on because the landing gear wasn't locked. And evidently that's a problem when you land. What do I know? I'm not a pilot, right? And so they came back around and, and, and it took about 45 minutes for them to do that. And uh, they came back around and there was another plane waiting to get in and they really hadn't figured anything out yet and so they said to the tower, we'll go around again, no worries, let this other plane land. 
we're not sure where we are. They went by the tower and they could see that the landing gear was in fact down. But again, they weren't sure it was locked. And so the captain and the, co or the pilot and the co-pilot and, and all of the people, you know, everybody that was involved were totally focused on whether or not this landing gear was going to stay down when they landed and how they could best prepare the passengers for that kind of landing. And so they went around again and they came back into Portland and about five minutes from the airport, one of the crew said, Captain, uh, we, ha we, ha we have a problem. I just lost engine four. And he said, lost engine four? What are, you, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, we just lost engine two and three. And, of course, this turned everything even more chaotic. And they realized that as they were going around Portland and concentrating on the landing gear, no one was watching the fuel gauge. And they crashed just shy of the airport. Ten people died. Twenty-four people were seriously injured. And it changed the way the FAA deals with problems on airplanes from then on. Because they were so focused on this thing that just popped up kind of on the outside that was almost like a, a, a side thing, not really even a major problem. And they took the eyes off of one of the most basic things, which is you need fuel to run an airplane. I've done this in a car, the results are not anywhere near the same. As I travel and as I visit churches, one of the things that I think sometimes happens to us is we forget the basic thing that brings us together. We take our eyes off the gauge and we forget what truly our call and mission is. And as we gather at Advent for this Sunday, we recognize that it's the love of God that truly has changed our lives. It's the love of Christ that has made this so different living in this world. And if we take our eyes off of what that love means and what it is and what it calls us to do, I think as churches, it might explain at least a piece of why we're coming up just a little bit short right now. The passage I'd like to share with you uh, this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. A familiar passage, not necessarily a Christmas passage, but it does have a shepherd in it. Okay? Chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Join me. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. For when he was brought out by all by his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow them because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. 
Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying. So again, Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and who will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it up from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. Well, I think I may have messed uh, the team up a bit because I think I included a little more scripture, but that's always a good thing, right? Jesus is out doing the work that... His father has called him to, and he's running up against the religious leaders who definitely had taken their eye off the gauge, right? And he begins to describe what's happening uh, spiritually around him as he's doing the ministry and mission that God had called him to. And he says something that I think is really important for us to hear. And he says it four times in just these few verses. I lay down my life. See, Jesus didn't come because he had to. He came because he chose to. He wanted to. He came because his love is so great for us that he wanted to come and be a part of us. We sang earlier about the incarnation and, 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 and what a miraculous thing that is that he set aside what it meant to be fully God so that he could come being fully human and fully God among us through the cradle. And he did all of that because he wanted to. Have you ever thought about the difference between obligatory love and love that comes from the depths of who we are? I'm not sure there really is anything uh, like obligatory love. I'm not sure that really exists. Right. I'm not sure that really happens. What really happens, especially in this instance, is that Jesus... God, the Trinity, the Spirit, saw what they created and saw the need that we had and they decided we love them from the very beginning to the very end and we are going to come. We're going to enter this world and change things 
And again, it's not that they decided that on a whim, obviously. But Jesus chose to come and be with us. Even who we are, knowing how we live and the choices that we make. He chose to love Peter even though he knew Peter was going to deny him three times at the critical point of his life and death. He chose Paul on the road to Damascus when Paul was going there to persecute Christians. Even in the midst of our sin, our struggles, our forgetfulness, the hardship sometimes it is for us to keep our eye on the ball, to watch the gauge, to make sure that how we live really does show and shine the light and love of Christ. He chose to come and offer us his great love and grace and mercy. See, church, if we miss that, for ourselves, obviously we miss the, the greatest truth that's ever been shared, ever been told, ever been described. If we miss it for our family and our friends and our community and our co-workers and our neighbors and our enemies, we miss the mission of the church. Love is truly what God is about. A few weeks ago, uh, our daughter-in-law's sister and her husband just adopted a baby. And, and I was thinking through that, the, the joy that that has brought to their life and, and, and just this, this wonderful experience of, of taking in this baby and, and bringing it into their family and saying, this is our child. Maybe that's where the obligatory love comes in. If you have your own kids, you have to love them, right? Even though they're a pain in the neck sometimes, you have to love them. To adopt a child means I'm purposefully, purposefully looking at this child and saying, it is becoming mine. I'm not comparing the love. I'm just saying, isn't that amazing love? Amazing grace? To be able to receive that and say, it's mine. That's what God has done for us. Arms open wide. No matter where we've been, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what yesterday held, today in this moment, he says, I love you. And, and, and and I love you to the point that I'm willing to change the way that I live and exist, limit myself, and come into your presence in order to offer you all that I have. That's the kind of love Jesus is talking about here as he shares about being the good shepherd. The second part of this, I love. Jesus says, I have other sheep. Now, if you go online and look and try and figure out what that message is about, you're going to find all kinds of weird and crazy stuff. 
People have taken this passage and said, you know, this means there are aliens in other planets on the world, right? And it just gets worse from there. That's not what he's saying here. What we have to recognize is the, the, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people believed from the very beginning, basically, that when God chose them and set them apart to take his message to the world, that the message was just for them. And Jesus is saying to them, you're not the only ones. I have other sheep and they also are going to be loved and are loved and they're going to be welcome in and, and we're going to call them to come and join and be grafted and be adopted into this family. That was so far out of the realm of what they expected or what they could imagine about God saying, there are going to be people that eat bacon, come and join us. Right? How could that happen? Yet Jesus says, I have other sheep. I have other sheep that I love. I have other sheep that I care about, other sheep that I died for, other sheep that I came for, other sheep that I'm inviting in, other sheep that I want you to bring in, other sheep that need the grace and mercy that you've received. Again, church, have maybe we taken our eyes off the gauge? Who are those other sheep for us? When we look at something as basic for us as John 3.16 that the whole world might know, who are those other sheep? Who are those people that need to hear the, the grace and mercy of God, who, who need to understand, the, again, the depth and the, the width of his love and, and, and the ability he has to, to grace them, to redeem them, to forgive them, to restore them? Red and yellow, black and white. No matter what nation they're from. No matter what political party they're from. No matter what they think about our world and our culture and the context in which we live in. As crazy and as chaotic as it is, even the military junta in Burma need Jesus. And if that's the miracle that he would work, I would be so thrilled. A few years back, I had the opportunity to travel to uh, uh, Lebanon. And we went into Beirut. And then we went out into the countryside, just about 15 miles from Syria. And we met a pastor, a young pastor. And he told us this story about how one day he had a, a uh, person uh, knock on his door. And it was, uh, it was an assassin from Syria. And he came and knocked on his door and said, Pastor, I just want you to know, I'm here in town, I've been sent to kill you, and I'm going to do that. And he said, I, I didn't know what else to do, so I just started preaching to him. And I preached to him for hours. And at the end of the conversation, he was in tears and he walked away. And a week later, he came back. We did the same thing. And he came back and he did the same thing. And he said, would you like to meet him? I'm like, not really, no. 
you just keep doing your thing. It's cool with me. He said, no, he's a deacon in my church now. Bellman, let's go to his house and we'll share a meal. We have no idea who those sheep are. They could look so different than we look. Jesus loves them. He laid down his life for them. And our task is to figure out how we can share the good news of Jesus Christ with them, staying true to the Scripture, and yet at the same time offering this arms open wide grace, mercy, and love that He's given to us. Third thing that I think is so cool about this passage. Jesus says, not only did I lay down my life, but I took it up again. I'm going to take it up again. That's, that's the power of his story, right? I mean, it's not that he only came through the cradle in order to live among us as fully God and fully human. But that he went through the trial and the suffering, the beatings and the torture. He went to the cross. He was dead rose again I'm taking it up again we have the best news that anyone could have in this world we have the greatest story to tell we we have the most powerful God that we serve not only in his grace and mercy and love did he lay down his life but he picked it up again, which means we don't have to stay dead. We don't have to stay on the outside. We don't have to stay not being a part of the family, but instead we're welcomed in. We're called to a new life. Sometimes in our world that gets complicated and messy. Guess what? It was complicated and messy then as well. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Jesus said, who condemns you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. There's always this grace and love that's offered and then also a call to holiness and a new life. And that new life is possible because of the resurrection power of Jesus. He can change us. He can make us new and different. Because he's Lord. He's King. He's Creator. He's Almighty. And he has the power, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what keeps us down, he has the power to take us up. To pick us up allow us to start fresh start new oh church <laughs> have we taken our eye off the gauge are we missing the most powerful thing we have to share the love of Jesus Christ in its fullness the whole story well every year I tell this story and with this story I'm going to close story I heard in 1986 
by Nancy Dahlberg. In fact, I may have told this story last year. You won't remember. My wife will. Nancy Dahlberg worked as a marketing person for ABC USA in the 80s. And her and her husband were traveling down the coast of California on Christmas Day with their two children. And they, they had, if I remember correctly, a daughter and then an 18-month-old son. And it was Christmas Day, and they were having a difficult find, time trying to find some place to eat. And so they decided, what the, they, as they drove, the first place they could find, they would pull in. And, and it, as they were traveling down the highway there, going on the coast, there was this kind of roadside diner that just looked like it was barely open. So they wheeled in there and took their little family in there. And they sat down, and they put the baby in the high chair, and the waitress served them. And everything seemed to be fine. And then just towards the end of the meal, the door opened. And everybody in the diner looked at the door, and there was this old man shuffling in. And Nancy said, I wasn't close enough to smell him, but I could tell by looking across the room that he had his own unique odor. His clothes were tattered, he was unshaven, he was dirty. Everyone watched him as he shuffled in and as he came and he sat at a table and he ordered coffee. The one that really noticed him was the 18-month-old son. And he noticed the baby as well. And he started saying, hi baby, hi big boy. And across the restaurant to the chagrin of his parents and the rest of the restaurant people, they started playing games. They played peekaboo, they played hide-and-seek, they played all kinds of uh, baby games that you could play with ex facial expressions from across the restaurant. And everybody was looking at Nancy and her husband, and she felt like everyone was saying, why are, you let this, why are you letting this happen? And so they quickly finished their meal, and she decided she would grab the baby and go to the car while her husband paid the check with their daughter. And so she grabbed the baby and she headed for the door and as, as she headed for the door, the old man stood up and she walked past him and the baby lunged for him. And he caught the baby and she said there was the most pure, purest hug she'd ever seen in her life when her 18-month-old baby boy grabbed his neck and squeezed. She said the old man shut his eyes and just held on to that baby. And finally she had to pry the baby out of his hands and he said, thank you ma'am so much. That's the best Christmas present I've had in years. She went to the car, her husband, her husband comes out to the car and she's bawling. And he's like, what in the world is wrong with you? We're out. And she said, you realize our son, our 18-month-old son, was Jesus to that old man. We ignored him, and we looked down upon him. 
our 18-month-old son was Jesus. Church, we need to be Jesus. We need to focus on his grace and his mercy and his love. And we cannot miss. We can't take our eyes off the gauge. Because it's his grace and love and mercy that will change this world. All might know him. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for your word, for the truth that is here, for the power that it shares with us. We're thankful for your presence with us by your spirit this morning how you've spoken to our hearts. Lord, we pray, we repent, we seek forgiveness for when we've ignored the calls that you've placed on our lives as individuals to share your love with someone around us that might be messy. God, help us to hug. Help us to show that we value people as humans because you've created them in your image. Help us to be a place of refuge and hope because of your son Jesus and the great things that he's done for us by laying down his life, taking it up again. And oh God, we look so, so forward to his return. Lord, we pray. We pray that uh, we can start fresh right now, in this moment, bringing honor and glory to you. We pray your message, your story, hope by the way that we live, by the way that we love. In Christ's name. If you're here this morning and you've never said yes to that love, You've never realized that God was standing there waiting for you with arms open wide saying, please just come, come. I, I love you. I care about you. We're going to sing this last song. If you'd like to come and visit with me or, or, or a deacon in the church, or, or we'd invite you to do that. Come. Respond to what Christ has called us to this day. For his glory and his honor and his praise.